The reading today is from Job 2, um, beginning at verse 11 and then continuing um, in, in Job 3. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met him together by, by agreement to go and sympathise with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognise him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and and the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud set settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. May those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. And continuing at 3 verse 20. Why is light given to those in misery? and life to the bitter of soul. To those who long for death, that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food, my groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace. No quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes on you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. You should, should, should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Where, where, where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and, and those who sow reap trouble. And the breath of God, at the breath of God they perish. At the blast of his anger they are no more. Thanks, Megan, for reading. Thanks, Claire, for your welcome. Thank you, Caroline, for what you shared with us all. If you weren't here last week, it's lovely to meet you. May I pray? Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And Father God, in all the unknowns 
that we live with in this broken world. May we know you. Amen. Stephen Fry, as you know, is a national treasure, a genius in so many ways. You may remember his rant against God a couple of years ago on Irish television. What would you say if you met God at the gates of heaven, was the question from presenter Gay Byrne. I'd say bone cancer to children, what's that about? How dare you? Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living. Would our friend Job agree? This Bible book is teaching us how to respond to God in a world that's often a very sore place to live in. Literally sore for Job, head to toe in pain from his illness, total loss of his livelihood, and horrifyingly, his ten children wiped out in a so-called natural disaster. His faith in the face of these multiple tragedies amazed us last week, but there are many stages of grief, of course. And today we enter the agony of the godly sufferer. One of the reasons people down the centuries have found Job to be such a friend is that he vividly, maybe shockingly, expresses some of what we can feel. Chapter 3, verse 3. May the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived I wish I hadn't been born, is his point in that whole paragraph. Or at least verse 20, I wish I could die now. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that doesn't come, who search for it more than hidden treasure? It's not that Christian people sometimes ask why questions. It's not just that. It's that godly people sometimes wish they were dead. And as chapter 3 concludes, Job uses the language of sighing, groaning, fear, dread, turmoil. All of which will be the mood of his following discourses. Some of you will have felt this pain. Some of us may be feeling it right now. We mustn't be naive. We mustn't be shocked when we find ourselves experiencing these kind of lows. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to feel like this, surely. I've spoken to people who felt guilt at expressing the kind of feelings that Job does here. Or have been shocked when other believers have expressed these kind of emotions to them. I grew up, Caroline mentioned Sunday school, I grew up going to Sunday school as well. We used to sing a song called, With Christ in the Vessel We Can Smile in the Storm. Smile in the Storm, Smile in the Storm. With Christ in the Vessel We Can Smile in the Storm as we go sailing by. And that was the bit that we liked because you could sail quite roughly into the people around you at that moment. Great song, terrible theology, I'm afraid. 
No smiling in the storm for Job. He goes on in the book to describe his sense of isolation, his disappointment in the care he's received from others. The saints of God go through some very dark seasons. And I think we need to say, if if God is on the defensive on the issue of human suffering, it's certainly the biggest question I ever get asked. Then you have to say from this quick survey of Job's pain, the scriptures aren't trying to gloss over the reality of life in this world. Whatever the answers are or not, we can't accuse God of not getting how we feel. But of course, that's only what raises the tension. Stephen Fry's attack only bites if God does exist and unlike the Greek equivalents, is sovereign and is good. The confusion is added to a believer's pain when we're asking why is he who calls me his friend seemingly against me? Why did he Let me take that job that worked out to be such a disaster. Why did he let her die? Job is refreshingly honest as he brings his complaint to God. So chapter 3, verse 23. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Do you remember in chapter 1 last week, it was Satan who said that God had put a protective hedge around Job. Now Job feels like that same God is hedging him in horribly. Let me read to you from later in Job. Chapter 19, Job says that I cry, I have been wronged, I get no response. He's talking about from God. He has blocked my way. He has stripped my honour. He tears me down on every side. His troops advance in force. In another place he speaks of the archers of God lining up around him, ready to fire their darts. Does Job push things too far? Get too close to Stephen Fry in his complaint against the Almighty? But did you know that at the end of the book, Job is the one who God commends. There's no suggestion that even after all his complaining, that Job has somehow failed the faith test. He hasn't. C.S. Lewis, in his reflection, A Grief Observed, wrote a paragraph about the little rays of hope that they experienced during his wife's illness that in the end came to nothing. He finished his journal one evening uh, writing that he felt that God had tortured him. And then the next paragraph is where he takes up his entry the next day and says, I wrote that last night. It was a yell rather than a thought. I think that's a good way of putting it. Job doesn't think that God is a monster. He is a man of deep faith who can't understand and so he brings his yell of complaint towards his God. That's one of the main threads running through the whole book, the agony of the sufferer. 
But we do need to look at the other main thread, which is the presumption of Job's friends. See, even as Job is in the ashes howling why, they turn up and confidently pronounce, we think that we know why. And it's a shame because they started quite well. So on the first side of the reading, uh, the end of chapter 2, they came to bring sympathy and comfort. It says they wept with him, weep with those who weep. And they didn't do anything uh, initially at all. They were just present with Job, modeled pastoral care. And then they opened their mouths and it all went downhill pretty quickly. I used to meet up with a man, he and his wife had lost a baby at the moment of birth. No warning, uh, the baby had been fine all the way through the pregnancy, suddenly was dead. Total shock, must be one of the worst tragedies for a family to deal with. But actually quite quickly he was wanting to meet up and to talk about God and why. Very easy in that situation to wander into speculation or heresy. Pretending that you know more than you do, that's Job's friends, rather than being honest about what we just don't know. The particular error of these friends is one that I think runs very deep in the human psyche. You reap what you sow. That's the basic explanation of Job's friends to his suffering. And you see it, I think, most clearly here in chapter 4, verse 7. So the very end of our reading, 4, verse 7. Consider now, who, who being innocent has ever perished? When were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God, they perish. Clearly comes from a sense that God is in control of the world. That he's fair, that he's good, that he's angry about evil and condemns it. So far, so good. And it's one of the things that makes their speeches confusing if you were to read on into the whole of Job. And if you would take a a highlighter pen and highlight everything they say that is biblically correct, you would be highlighting quite a lot. Those who sow trouble reap it. You reap what you sow, right? It's a principle that begins in the order of creation. So my three-year-old has started growing beans. And even in a central London garden, even with a three-year-old who does more to terrorise than to tend the beans, you can find that quite quickly you will reap a beanstalk. And it goes through into morality as well. Spend your time lying or betraying or losing self-control. The general thing is that you will reap all kinds of negative consequences. And it's more than just cause and effect in the Bible, isn't it? It's the Lord. We live in a moral universe where God punishes evil. The wicked will perish. You reap what you sow. The New Testament takes that and quotes it and agrees. But can you see how Eliphaz has pushed the principle too far in verse 7? Bad people perish and come to ruin. You've come to ruin, Job. So what does that say about you? Verse 7. Consider now who being innocent 
has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? Do you see how it's way too simplistic? I mean, yeah, you sow bean seeds, you reap beans. But sometimes a brick just lands in your plant pot. The fact that consequences flow from actions doesn't mean that everything that lands in your life is a consequence that flows from something you have done. And the friends are sure that you reap what you sow explains everything. So inevitably, as the chapters progress, they question Job's business practices. Most cruelly, they claim that his children must have sinned. And they repeatedly tell him to repent of whatever it is, and life will be sunny again. I think it is really ingrained, isn't it? Call it karma, if you like. Remember Maria in The Sound of Music? I must have done something good. And on the flip side, it's what so many sufferers feel. What have I done to deserve this suffering is a natural instinct. Liberating, I hope, to feel freed from that. But it's a compelling way of thinking. Because it gives way out of the pain, potentially. Or at least a clear explanation. God is very clear at the end of Job. The friends are wrong. Yes, there is cause and effect. Yes, at the big level, sin leads to death and we all deserve judgment. But Job is showing us that it would be very wrong to presume that a particular sufferer is particularly reaping what they particularly have sown. And that's why prosperity teaching and some of the healing ministries are well-meaning but ultimately cruel when they suggest that this confession This spiritual corrective in your life or this prayer prayed in the right way and all will be well. My mum experienced some of that during her illness with cancer. Not only do we need to tread more pastorally sensitively, also more theologically carefully as well. Be humble enough to live with the unknown unknowns. See, the friends have no room in their system for a longer time scale over which God might bring resolution. They don't seem to even know about Satan, and there's certainly no room in their theology for innocent suffering. Who, being innocent, ever perished? asked Eliphaz. Who, being innocent, ever perished? Well, God's answer to that is to place a large wooden cross at the heart of the universe. Totally contra all human wisdom and totally glorious. It's a messy book, the book of Job. The friends say some things that were kind of true, but the whole package is that they have a wrong view of God. Job makes some complaints that might shock us but the whole package is it's from a person of faith who leans towards God again and again he yearns for God he talks to God the friends have a system 
But Job seeks God. Stephen Fry again. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living. Job would say a resounding no way. Yes, I feel that he has hedged me in. No, I don't understand everything. But I do know something. Chapter 19, verse 25. Maybe the most famous verse in the whole of the book of Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. Yet in my flesh I will see God. How my heart yearns within me. It's a pattern you see all the way through the lament psalms. Uh, I feel this is so difficult. I feel you've abandoned me, God. And yet landing in a place of trust. The pattern for God's Redeemer himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, and I find no rest. Yet, you are holy. No easy answer to child cancer, or so many of the problems that we live with and are trying to help other people with. But many reasons to respect and trust the one who has walked all of our pains and so much more. I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen.